Last Sunday morning, we were at the well of Samaria, and Jesus Christ, very appropriately, used the illustration of water to present the gospel. We're going to leave the well of Samaria now, and we'll return to it in October. It probably won't be as hot then, uh, but we've got to a new section in Jesus's encounter with the woman at the well. So once, God willing, I'm back from my sabbatical, we will resume in that. Some of you prayed on Wednesday that the Lord would lead me uh, to uh, messages from himself and the message that the Lord has laid on my heart for us this morning is a verse that is found in the chapter that was read, Isaiah chapter 44. And again, we've got a picture uh, from the natural world to convey the gospel. Doesn't that say something? If Jesus Christ and the evangelical prophets, as God's mouthpiece, used things from everyday life to convey the truths of the gospel to us, then we should make use of such things as well. And it's another appropriate illustration on a day like this. Verse 22 of Isaiah 44, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. There's a picture from meteorology to describe the gospel. We'll come to that in a moment. Isaiah here is speaking to a people who are very much like us. God's judgment had come upon his people. They had been taken captive to Babylon, and they were weeping. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept. And in these middle chapters of Isaiah, the prophet is seeking to encourage the people. And what is his message? His message of encouragement is twofold. The things we've been singing about this morning, redemption, that's a big word, but it's about the gospel and about being released from sin and revival. They go together, redemption, the gospel, and revival. And he is here using this uh, very wonderful picture of the redemption that we have in the gospel, comparing sin to a thick cloud and God. Blotting out our sins like the cloud just dissipating in the heat of the sun. Haven't you found that out these last few days? We've had cloudy mornings, haven't we? Have you had cloudy mornings? It's been cloudy down the bay. Has it been cloudy further up? And then, once the sun gets going, the cloud just disappears. So let's look at this picture. The first thing I want to mention is our sin is like cloud, like cloud. Now, you may think, because I'm preaching the gospel, talking about sin is just for the unbeliever. But the Bible always addresses every one of us when we talk about sin. 
Sin is not another person's problem. It's your problem. It's my problem. And Isaiah here, we've got to remember, is addressing first God's people. And he calls them throughout these chapters, Jacob. Do you know why? He doesn't call them Israel. Israel is what Jacob became. He's calling them Israel's original name, Jacob. Jacob, the man who was a deceiver, the man who wasn't worthy of blessing. And this is what God is saying to his people. Do you want to know why you've been taken captive to Babylon? It's because you've become like Jacob. It's because you've gone away from me. It's because you've become idolaters. That's what is being said in these chapters. So you've got a very challenging message. And then into this darkness shines the twofold light of redemption and revival. So I've got to talk about sin this morning. And I'm not talking about the sin of people out there. I'm talking about your sin, about my sin. Do you want to hear that? John Calvin said, our hearts are a factory of idols, a factory, a production line of idols. So you may say to me, Pastor, I'm not like the people in Isaiah's day. In our reading, we had quite detailed instructions of an idol worshipper. Some people think Isaiah knows so much about carpentry here because he describes in great detail how somebody would uh, plant a tree, uh, maybe in his garden, he would plant a tree, a cypress tree or an oak tree. And then once the tree has grown uh, and is able to be cut down, he cuts down one branch and from that branch he makes a fire and he warms himself by it and he um, cooks his bread over it. And then with another branch he cuts down, he carves an idol. And he bows down to it, and he worships it, and he trusts in it. And you will say to me, well, pastor, I haven't got a tree. Well, I may have a tree in my garden, but I'm not doing that with it. I'm not bowing to idols. Well, of course you're not, not those kind of idols. But we can have other idols, not just idols of wood and stone. We can have idols made of steel. We can idolize a car. We can have idols made of bricks and mortar. We can idolize a house. We can have idols of materialism. We can think that a man's life is all about the abundance of the things he possesses. We can be covetous as professing Christians, can't we? We can have idols of family. We can make a family an idol. Anything can become an idol. Books can become an idol. I can say that as a preacher. You can worship your books. Whatever we worship or put in the same place as God is an idol. We can make religion into an idol, can't we? We can make chapel into an idol. Now then, look at the picture Isaiah uses here. He compares sin, idol worship, to a cloud. Let's think about this. What's a cloud? What's a cloud? 
Well, the first thing I have to say about a cloud is it arises from the earth. No, it doesn't, you say. A cloud <laughs> comes from the sky. No. It comes first from the earth. The hydrological water cycle. So, clouds form uh, when uh, water uh, evaporates from the seas. It comes from the earth. I'm using it as an illustration of sin, right? So where does sin come from? Sin doesn't come from heaven. Sin doesn't come from God. It comes from below. It comes from you and me. Just like a cloud. What else is true of a cloud? Well, a cloud hides the sun, doesn't it? So the sun is still shining. But when you're in cloud, when you're enveloped in cloud, then you don't feel the warmth of the sun. And isn't that a very vivid description of sin? What does sin do? God is like the sun. Jesus Christ is described as the son of righteousness. What does sin do? Sin isn't so much the things that we do wrong. That's the symptom of sin. Sin is this horrible thing that comes between us and God. God is the fountain of life. God is good. Sin is evil. Sin is this barrier that has come. It's like a cloud. Cloud. If you're not a Christian this morning, you are separated from God. Even if you are a Christian, think of the people in Isaiah's day. They backslidden. Is your relationship with God cold? Like being in a cloud. God hasn't changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The love of God is the same. Oh, love of God, how strong and true, constant and yet ever new. What's changed is my heart. I was thinking driving here this morning of the time I was converted and everything was so fresh. I couldn't help but come to church. It was no problem making the midweek meeting. Everything was full of life. And then a coldness can creep in, can't it? Have you come here this morning to meet God, to worship God, to delight in the gospel? Can you say all that thrills my soul is Jesus? He is more than life to me. What else is sin like? It's like a thick cloud, not a wispy what are they called those wispy clouds i used to teach this but it was so long ago i've forgotten the words Cir cirrus cirrus cloud that's not sin some people think it's only a little one it doesn't matter really sin oh no it's not it's a thick cumulonimbus storm cloud it would be good if we could have some of those by this afternoon so that we could have a thunderstorm. Sin is 
exceeding sinful. Sin is vile. Do you know what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said to somebody who went to see him and shared with him about falling into a certain temptation? Dr. Martin looked at them and said, that's disgusting. How can you do that? Uh, when Isaiah here is talking about idol worship, he uses a word again and again, they should be ashamed. How can you bow down to a block of wood? How can you be so stupid? I.B. Davis, Andrew Davis's father, he was preaching the gospel once. Somebody was converted, and you know what struck them? He said to them, how can you be so stupid? Not turning to God. Not trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. It's stupidity, isn't it, sin? It's not those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ that have lost our minds. It is those who are still carrying on in a course of sin. How can a person who's planted a tree bow down to the same thing? It doesn't make sense. You're stupid if you are making your life revolve around anything that's not your creator. I think Isaiah would have been cancelled in his day, wouldn't he? For poking fun at idols. I don't want to abuse my position. I don't want to force you in any way. But I do want to make you see sense. <laughs> How can I be so tough? as we say in Wales. How can we? How can we? What else is true of clouds? Not only is it a thick cumulonimbus cloud, but what's going to come? When you see a cumulonimbus cloud, what's going to come? A storm. A storm. I actually enjoy thunderstorms. Do you enjoy sitting through a thunderstorm? I've got a grand view of the Bristol Channel now, and I can see the storm clouds coming. And it's a wonderful panorama. The thunder and the lightning. There's nothing like a good thunderstorm. But this storm is not something to enjoy. Do you know what John the Baptist said? Another preacher that would have been cancelled today. John the Baptist, he looked at the people that were listening to him. And he said to them, who has warned you to flee from the wrath? to come. The storm. There's a storm coming. That, that's why me, Andy and Nathan stand in this pulpit Sunday after Sunday. We're here to warn you about the coming storm, the day of God's wrath. Now Isaiah here is trying to get the professing people of God to see sense, not just the unbelievers. And this is the first thing I want to try and do as well. Sin is not a small thing. Sin isn't just an illness or a weakness. It's this horrible spiritual cloud that bars me from the presence of God, that mars my enjoyment of God and of his things, that causes me to be cool in the things of God, that is vile and that one day is going to cause a storm, an eternal storm. Are you ready to die? That's what first convicted Howell Harris, a young man up in the Black Mountains. 
and it was an announcement. Do you believe God can use the announcements to save somebody? Somebody announced communion the following Sunday or something to that effect. And they said, are you ready to take communion? If you're not ready to take communion, you're not ready to live, you're not ready to die. And Harris was pricked in his conscience. There's a storm coming. Are you ready? Man is appointed once to die. After that, the judgment. Are you ready? So that's the first thing. Isaiah likens sin. Not somebody else's problem, but you and me and our relationship to God as a cloud, as a thick cloud. But I'm not stopping there, am I? I don't want to send you despairing away. This is a gospel church. This is a gospel service, and gospel means God's spell, and it means good news. And this is the point of the illustration of the prophet. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Now, the most important thing I'm going to say this morning is one word, and it's the smallest word in the verse, and it's the word I. How can I know if I'm a true Christian? It's all about where you put the I, or what the I is referring to. Before I was converted, I heard about the good news. In Sunday school, I knew the stories of the Bible. But the problem was, I was still dead in sins, because I put the I in the wrong place. Do you know what I mean? It would be I can blot out my sins like a thick cloud. It's like these people who are bowing down to idols. Not only are they bowing down to them, they're trusting in them. Is there anybody here this morning who is still thinking, I can deal with my sin? You're not a Christian yet. It's good that you're coming to church. It's good that you're mixing with the people of God. You've got a good place. But you need to come to the point where you realize the I is not what about I can do, but it's about what God can do. Now then, let me try and illustrate it. Have you heard of rainmakers? Rainmakers. Uh, in... Uh, certain parts of Africa, uh, they'll have somebody in the tribe who's the rainmaker. Apparently, they can make it rain. Are you trying to be not a rainmaker, but a cloud dissipator? Can you do that? I've never come across a person who's done that. Uh, I remember reading about Soviet Russia uh, before a big uh, procession in Moscow. Uh, the scientists would shoot rockets into the atmosphere to make sure that it wouldn't rain on the day. Can you clear the cloud of sin? You're trying to be a cloud dissipator. It's an impossible task. S some people think that we pastors are here to deal with people's sins. We can't do anything to deal with your sin. It's a miracle for a person to be able to say to a storm cloud, be no more. None of us can do that. 
uh, some of you will remember the time of great blessing that this church and other churches experienced in Wales over a few generations ago now. It was nothing to do with Mr. Hyam or with the other pastors. Nobody can raise somebody to life. Only one. And that is God. I have blotted out. It's not you and me. It's not us pastors. It's not the effort that we put into it. Another person came to this realization. Uh, he liked walking. And if you go to the Mendips, uh, you can see uh, the part where this person often walked in. Because there's a rock and there's like a cleft in the rock. And the person's name was Augustus. He had a strange surname, Top Lady. Well, a strange first name as well, I think. And he wrote, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. I can't do it. Could my zeal? No respite, no. Have you seen the zeal of some of the Jehovah's Witnesses? They're more zealous than we will ever be. But that's not going to give us a place in heaven. Could my tears forever flow? Oh, I'm so hard. But it's not my feelings that are going to save me. Oh, for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. And Augustus saw that cleft in the rock, and he saw in that a picture from the book of Exodus of how God blots out our sin. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Isaiah is called the evangelical prophet because he looks to Jesus Christ. Um, somebody said Isaiah must have been a carpenter before he was a prophet to have known so much about how to cut a tree down and how to carve the branch into an idol. Even in that, isn't he a shadow of the greater than Isaiah? Wasn't Jesus of Nazareth the carpenter before he began his public ministry? You and I can't deal with sin. What Jonah realized in the belly of the whale, and it sometimes requires, doesn't it, us to come to that point of desperation. What did Jonah cry out? What was Jonah's eureka moment? Salvation is of the Lord. There's the answer. Thou must save, and thou alone. How? I've got to hurry. How? This wonderful person Isaiah is looking towards, the servant, the Messiah. In a few centuries, he's going to come. It's not about you and me. We are under the old Adam. It's about God sending another Adam, and that is Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, God became a man. The servant is not just a prophet, but God himself becoming one of us. And what did he come to do? He didn't come primarily to live. He did that, but he didn't do that for his own sake. And I said that to the children. He did that to build up the righteousness to be given to you and to me who believe in him. But he came to die. And you know what he did in his death? It wasn't just a demonstration of his love. He did something on the cross. Do you see that? On Calvary, 
something was done to deal with the cloud of sin. Jesus Christ on the cross took our sins upon himself. In a few chapters in Isaiah, he's going to declare this. They're wonderful words, aren't they? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He suffered the storm on Calvary of God's wrath. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Not what I do. It would take an eternity for you to clear your sin. It's what God's Son did in a matter of hours, in a matter of three hours. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. That we, believing in him, might be made the righteousness of God in him. Another illustration. I've used this before. Do you know where the wettest part is in Wales? Do you know, do you know where it is? It's, it's up in Snowdonia, and it's a place called Nanmoor. Nanmoor, beautiful little village, just above Penrindaidraith. And do you know why Nanmoor is so wet? It faces the southwest, and all the prevailing winds, all the weather systems coming over the Atlantic Ocean, they come from the southwest, they pick up moist air, and when they come to Nanmoor, do you know what they hit? Not literally, but... Metaphorically, they hit Snowdonia. And on the mountains of Snowdonia, Nanmore is quite high up. So if you're on the mountains, it's going to be even wetter. So imagine being up on Knicht near Nanmore on Snowdon. Imagine the clouds, the rain there. It can be sunny down below, but the mountaintops, the air has to rise. It becomes moist uh, and there is rain and there are storm clouds over the mountains even when it's dry elsewhere so can you see the point of the illustration on the mountains of Snowdonia, the brunt of the storm and on another mountain not a very high mountain not a very beautiful mountain called Golgotha the place of the skull because it looked like a skull on another mountain there was an even worse storm and it was 2,000 years ago and it only lasted a matter of hours. It was such a dense darkness, wasn't it? Darkness was over all the earth. Why? Because the creator of the universe, the Son of God, was abandoned by his Father. That had never happened before. From eternity, the Father and the Son had been in union and communion together. And now, because the spotless Son of God is made sin, the Father turns his face away, and the wrath of God is taken by Jesus Christ. We're going to sing in a minute. Till on that cross... As Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ. And coming back to the illustration, do you know what happens on the other side of Snowdonia then? The air is drier. And what you've got on the other side is the rain shadow effect. So where I'm from, Llandidno, is the Riviera of North Wales. Because the mountains have taken the storm clouds 
and the air is drier on the other side. And this is the point of my illustration. What is a Christian? A Christian is a person who realizes they can't save themselves. It's not I am going to blot out my sins as a thick cloud, but God in Christ has done it. And so where is a Christian? A Christian is a person who's in a new position. It's not about what I do, but about what God has done, and I've changed position. Do you know where I am now? I'm in the lee. I'm in the shadow of Mount Calvary. And there's no more wrath to fall on me because it's fallen on Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. Can I ask you, as I come to a conclusion, where are you? I know you're in Heath Church, but are you in the shadow of Calvary? Can you say with Top Lady again, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Even when there are clouds in our relationship with God, it's not the same as the wrath of God. Being a Christian is the most wonderful thing in the world, even if I don't feel like it. Imagine a person living in Llandidno. If you're living in Llandidno, you're going to feel wonderful, aren't you? Because it's the best place in the world. But imagine if you didn't feel wonderful. That doesn't mean anything in terms of the clouds. My friend, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, no matter how you feel, you're under the shadow of his wings. And there's no better place to be. And do you know what God says then? There's a wonderful invitation to us. Return. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return. Come back. Christian, you've forgotten these things. Isaiah twice reminds the people of the same truth. Some people say, oh, pastor, why do we have to hear the gospel every Sunday morning? We don't want to hear about how we can be saved. You're in a bad place if that's your attitude. Isaiah again and again. And he incidentally says the same thing in chapter 43. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression. And then in chapter 44, he says it again and again and again. Oh, come back. Come back to Jesus Christ. Come to him for the first time. And then, can I say this? I get the impression sometimes that Christians today in Wales are weary. Uh, You may have prayed that God would revive us and nothing seems to have happened and you're weary. I want to close with this. We started our service with a wonderful promise. God says, I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. It's dry, isn't it, spiritually at the moment? That's not going to stop God from pouring out. not a shower of his wrath, but a shower of Holy Spirit's blessing. I was reading, and I'll conclude with this, I was reading, um, have you heard of Increase Mather? What a name. Somebody called Increase? That's a good name, isn't it? <laughs> Increase Mather. He was writing in 1721. It's 2023, right? But 1721, and he was writing about New England, North America, in 1660. So some of you can remember 1960. And you will say, like... Increase Mather, he was thinking of 1721, you're thinking of 2023, conversions are scarce these days. And he was thinking of 1660, you'll think of 1960, and you'll say with Increase Mather, 65 years I've been a preacher, and I feel, as did the ancient Israelites, that had seen the former temple and wept when they saw the latter. Those of you who can remember the 60s, You may struggle today because there is 
less of a blessing. There isn't no blessing, but there's less. You're a bit like Increase Mather. I want to finish on a high. Do you know what happened in 1739? Increase wrote in 1721, conversions are scarce. I want to be back in the 60s. <laughs> and something happened in 1739. Do you know what happened in 1739? Somebody came. He, he was brought up in a pub. He was called George. George Whitfield. There was another chap. He was a bit more intelligent than George. Uh, he had more theology in his little finger than George Whitfield had in his whole being. He was called Jonathan. Jonathan Edwards. He was a very boring public speaker. He read out his notes, Jonathan did. Whitfield was a great orator. Neither was the answer. It was God by his spirit. And do you know how many people were converted in the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening? 300,000. 300,000. It's 2023. Oh, that God would do what he did in the 60s. 1966 and all that. Yes, but God can do even more. Oh, that God would do what he did in the Great Awakenings for his namesake. <laughs>